Welcome to the Standardized Patients Podcast. I am your host and lover of all things pumpkin spice, Katie Culligan. In this podcast, we dive into the who, what, why, and huh of this quirky industry that no one's ever heard of. So what is a standardized patient, you may ask? Well, a standardized patient is a... A standardized patient is part actor, part educator, and part counselor, all to give medical students a safe space in which to make mistakes. Thank you, John. So that voice that you just heard is John Reynolds. We have him as our guest here today. He is an actor, divisor, designer, and playwright from Washington, D.C. He can be heard in We Happy Few's horror audio play series, A Midnight Dreary, The Telltale Heart, and also as Sherlock Holmes in We Happy Few's The Adventure of the Dancing Men and The Norwood Builder. On the D.C. stages, he was last seen in Ada and the Engine, Avant Bard Theater, Visions of Love, Pointless Theater Company, Pericles, We Happy Few, and Mnemonic Theater Alliance. Other D.C. area credits include Beer Town, A Killing Game, Courage, and Toast, Dog and Pony D.C. Perfect Arrangement, Source Theater, The Winter's Tale, As You Like It, and The Second Shepherd's Play at Folger Theater, and Romeo and Juliet at the Shakespeare Theater Company. John is a graduate of McDaniel College, Maryland. Welcome, John. Thank you. It's delightful to be here. Thank you for being here. So lots of Shakespeare experience in classical theater along with all other things. And of course, standardized patient work. So how long have you been a standardized patient, John? I have been a standardized patient since 2008. So uh, math, is that 14 years? That sounds oh, right, because wow. that's how long about I've been. So, wow. So. Wow. Yes. Been, uh, you've been around for a I while. Us- I don't usually think about how long I've been doing this, but it's been a long time. Yeah. So since 2008, and what got you into it? Around then, I had been paying the bills by being a kind of for hire stage carpenter and stage electrician working at various theaters around town. And I was getting kind of tired of doing that. And it was also becoming physically very taxing because I was getting a little bit older. It was hard to spend all day at a theater hanging lights or sawing wood and then usually go to rehearsal at night and be rehearsing all night and then repeat it again. So I was on vacation with some friends in New Hampshire, and one of those friends was administrator at one of the sim centers in the D.C. area. And I was talking about how I'm looking for kind of a new line of work, but I don't exactly know what I want to do. She said, hey you know, you might be really good as a standardized patient, to which I said, uh, a standardized what now? Um, <laughs> and so she told me all about the program. And then when we came back from New Hampshire, she gave me a tour of the Sim Center, the facility. And I said, this seems really cool and something different and challenging. And yeah, um, where do I sign up? I would love to do this. There is a hiring process and a vetting process, but mm. I was lucky enough to get hired. I've been doing it ever since then. Yeah. Oh, thanks for sharing. Yeah. So our topic today is actually kind of the doing it ever since then part of it, meaning a day in the life of a standardized patient. That's kind of an open-ended, as we like to say, topic here. But, you know, I, I would love for you in your own words to explain to me what would you consider a typical day in the life of a typical standardized patient and what you've experienced? Um, (laughs) Yes. So, well, it's funny because so much of what the day looks like depends on what type of case you're doing. Mm -hmm. 
here's one example of a typical day. You get up in the morning, you make yourself a to-go coffee because usually the call times are pretty early and you get to the sim center, you check in, you would have been emailed the case that you're performing that day. You would have reviewed it, but then you will get an orientation or a training on that case by a trainer where you and all the other SPs that are portraying the same patient will go over all the materials and all the scripted responses together, make sure that everybody's on the same page, make sure that you have properly memorized all of the details, and then you are all distributed to different exam rooms in a kind of mock clinic, and you wait. <laughs> and after a while, there's an announcement in the speakers in the ceiling saying something to the effect of, students, you have 15 minutes with your patients. Please knock and enter when you are ready. And then a medical student will come in, and you are this person who has come in today for headaches or uh, stomach ache or you think you're having a heart attack or anything else. The variety of cases is so wide that both the emotional affect requirements as well as the physical requirements can vary tremendously. Mm -hmm. A lot of cases we'll do in gowns. That's most days. It's funny to think that our work uniform <laughs> is literally shorts and a hospital gown. It's um, true. <laughs> and we sit on an exam table and answer questions. And sometimes we are subjected to uh, physical exam maneuvers. But yeah. there are other times where we're wearing street clothes and the case is more emotional or sometimes psychological in nature. So it really mm -hmm. depends on the day. And then if you mm -hmm. have a really wild day, sometimes you're doing, I've done some mass casualty training events Ooh. where I was a victim of a plane crash with 30 other people and you are made up with moulage to simulate burns and trauma and sometimes really grisly wounds. Um, and there are medical students whose task is to learn triage and mm. run into a chaotic situation and save as many lives as possible. Um, so those typical days look <laughs> very different than the typical day where you're coming in because you have a stomach ache. Yeah. Well, thank you, first of all, for that wonderful detailed explanation. I want to follow up on this mass casualty thing. When you do those days, how many encounters will you have? How many times do you have to portray that situation? I think the last time I did it, it's been a couple of years. The last time I did it was pre-pandemic. I think we did two big rounds, like one in the morning, and then we had a lunch break, and then one in the afternoon, wow. because they are very taxing. In an event like that, you get there early, and then there are people to apply all of the makeup. You may get clothing that has been pre-damaged or burned or whatever, or you may be asked to bring a set of clothes that you are not attached to uh, and no. don't mind if they get damaged or stained or whatever. There's a like a big debrief where different people, you are kind of broken up into groups based on how severe your injuries are. And you're kind of told, kind of, here's what the scenario is. Here are your injuries. And here's how we want you to react when our medical teams come and respond. For some people, that means you are unconscious your job is to have your eyes closed and not react to anything. Wow. There are some people who may be in shock or maybe have head trauma who are disoriented. So you might respond to some things, but you don't know what's going on. 
And there are some people, and this was the job I had, who are a whirlwind of terror and panic. And your job is to sow chaos as much as possible because that's an added challenge. Oh, boy. The students responding to triage in this moment is some people are screaming and are trying to get up and run around or leave. or and, And your job is to not let them leave and to get them calmed down if you can and to treat them if you can. Um, In addition to the very serious job of you're trying to assess what patients are savable, Mm. what patients need are savable and need immediate medical intervention, what patients are injuries that are less severe and so can wait, and what patients probably cannot be saved in the time available and so Mm. have to be made comfortable. I have only done a few, a handful of those events over the years. So maybe that isn't quite a typical day as an SP, but they're Mm -hmm. definitely memorable. Um, And I think we actually got a little bit of a chance to talk to the medical students after the event was over and just get their reactions. And they, it seemed like they found the experience while harrowing, um, extremely valuable for them. Oh, sure. I can only imagine. I have not done something like that. I like that. So you were the agent of chaos and you you just, uh, was that just a random decision on the people that were? I think so. I don't think there was any particular reason I was chosen for that, but there were just a, there was just a small handful of us. I think there were only like three of us whose jobs were like, my job was I'd been traveling with my wife and Mm -hmm. I was trying to find her. And I was interrupting like groups of the first responders attending to other patients trying to would be like, have you seen my wife? Ah, where's my wife? And calling for her. And, and so they had to deal with that. Um, yeah, that's that's a lot. That is a lot of energy to expel, especially with that heightened trauma already. And then that. So whew, there's days when you're not doing those heightened emergency cases when you're in a, let's say, average standardized patient location showing up for the day. You know, just based on your experience, do you find that you do more medical where you're in a gown cases, a hospital gown, or more psychological, you're in street clothes cases, characters? I would say probably three quarters, at least three quarters of them, you are in a patient gown and you have come in for some kind of medical complaint, some kind of physical complaint. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those are serious complaints. Sometimes they're not serious complaints. But I, I think that that's probably 75, 80% mm-hmm. of the cases I do. That, that makes sense. And now that you've been doing this for, we've established 14 years, on an average, again, I know this changes from day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. But if you could take it average to what it's been in the past, we'll say, three to five years, amount of standardized patient work you do on a weekly basis? How many days? It can vary quite a lot over the course of the year because there are certain periods where there are a lot of events happening. Some of them might be exams. Some of them might be just learning events. Mm -hmm. But for example, the months of September and October are very busy. And then November, there's a low. And then Mm -hmm. December, toward the end of the semester, very busy. On average, if I if I was to average it over the course of a day, I am probably working two to three days a week. And just depending on, yeah, the time of year. You know, when it's summer, there's going to be inevitably less work typically, but at mm-hmm. the end of semesters, they're really going to pick up. 
for examinations and extra, all, all of the things. Plus, I know you do teaching as well. You do the, the PETA work, standardized patient instructor work, which we have discussed on this podcast before. So what would you say in terms of time-wise it takes up teaching versus just standard standardized patient work? Probably 40% teaching, 60% portraying the patient with the caveat that a big part of those teaching sessions, you're portraying a patient because <laughs> um, yeah. you're, you basically, you have a small class of medical students and you teach them physical exam maneuvers and you talk about how to think medical diagnosis. And then you say, okay, now let's practice. I'll be your patient. And then I become the patient and I say, hi, I'm Mr. So-and-so. And, and I have them practice on me. So even within the teaching context, there is a lot of standardized patient portraying a patient types of scenarios. That makes sense. Do you have uh, any preferences? Now, I know everybody's a little bit different, but would you rather, if you could choose, do a physical case where you're wearing a hospital gown or do one where you're in street clothes, more psychological based? If I just had my druthers, I would probably choose the street clothes type of cases most days mm-hmm. because one it's funny, it's such a simple and silly thing, but it does get tiresome sometimes going into work and taking your clothes off and putting on a gown <laughs> every day. Um, but also the cases where you're wearing street clothes, it's usually because your patient has something that they want to talk to the doctor about. That is not, oh, I have a headache or not something mundane, but is a little bit more involved and involves a little bit more counseling where you've got, you've got a, a serious issue, enough of a problem that you felt the need to go to the hospital to make an appointment with mm-hmm. a clinician and go talk to them about it. And so yeah. those days, because my background is as an actor, I find those days more challenging. Also, as somebody that is just interested in humans and connections between people, I I often find those days a little bit more rewarding because the student has an extra challenge of connecting with you and getting you to trust them to an extent that you might, as the patient, feel comfortable divulging very personal information to them. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that, that task of like building that trust and that rapport, building that relationship I find really rewarding when it's successful um, and very instructive <laughs> yeah. when it's not. Yeah, absolutely. The, the silver lining there is it can be very instructive when it's not successful. And that's oftentimes with those, you have time to give feedback, right? Typically with those types of cases, would you say? Yes. Yes. Um, almost always with those types of cases. You know, what point during, let's say, an, again, a, a typical quote unquote day, which we're just pretending we're having today, would you give feedback after those cases, how would that work for you? Yeah, so typically you will have several encounters with medical students over the course of the day. At the end of each encounter, you will have feedback that is either written feedback or verbal feedback. If it's written feedback, the student will conclude with you, the patient, and they will tell you, all right, I'm going to talk to my attending physician and we're going to get you the help you need or something like that. And they will leave the room. And then you will go over to the computer station and you will type the feedback that you have been mentally accruing in your brain as 
over the course of the patient encounter. But in the case of verbal feedback, the student, there will be a second announcement and the student will re-enter the exam room and you will no longer be the patient, you'll be yourself. And you'll sit down with the student and you'll typically, I, I will start with asking them, hey, how did you feel about that encounter? And we'll have a conversation about how the encounter went, about what they learned from that encounter, what my impressions were as that patient and mm -hmm. what things I noticed. And then I'll, I'll typically conclude by just thanking them for going through that experience with me. And, and hopefully they will have some really valuable takeaways. Mm -hmm. I often kind of prefer the verbal, the more conversational style of feedback to the written feedback. Although I think there's a lot of value in the written feedback because it, the verbal feedback, I often feel like is very ephemeral for the students. Mm -hmm. They really love it, but then they have to go on to the next patient and they forget about it. Yeah. Uh, whereas the written feedback is in a computer record that they can look up. I think it's also very important to really think hard about what is the most helpful and, and valuable feedback that you can type um, mm -hmm. in the limited amount of time that you usually have to type, usually less than five minutes. When you're doing these feedback sessions or even during the encounter themselves, when the, the student is in and you're portraying your character, is anyone typically watching monitors or outside the room? Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Most of the time, somebody is watching. And in fact, often there are multiple people watching. <laughs> so depending on the event, every exam room has multiple cameras and multiple microphones. And the encounters with patients are usually recorded. And this is both for events where the student is not being graded, but they are kind of formative events where the student is having an experience that they are learning from and building their skills with. And also the graded events, the exams, where this is part of their assessment. And so depending on what types of events, the people that are likely observing, first, other standardized patients will be observing me and evaluating my performance, making sure that I've been giving the correct information as essentially a sort of quality assurance, because it is so important to have true standardization across the different SPs who are portraying the same case mm -hmm. to make sure that every, you know, Mr. Jones is giving the same medical history. They're saying, I smoked for 10 years instead of saying, I smoked for 10 years, but one of them saying, I smoked for 15. So there's that level of observation. There may also be faculty, the people who are giving these medical students a lot of their lectures and a lot of their, their formal training. They may be observing and assessing the students. And also some of the students' colleagues, some of their mm -hmm. peers might be observing the encounters at the same time. There are some types of events where Students might be grouped into groups of uh, maybe three students, and one of those students will go in and they will see the patient, and the other two students will be observing. And mm -hmm. they will give their colleague, their fellow student, um, feedback on their performance and what they observed. So <laughs> depending on the event, any number of people might be watching it. And of course, in addition to that, they might be being recorded. And so the student themselves might in the future be an observer 
watching their own encounter and doing some self-reflection and self-assessment. Yeah, thank you for explaining that. It's so true. It just depends on the case and the day and what it's for, but there could be a just giant amount of people watching or, you know, just a recording for the future if, if needed. So I'm curious, we've already talked about kind of your, your favorite types of cases to do. Would you prefer as a standardized patient when you go in for the day, would you prefer to be there for a four-hour time chunk or an eight-hour time chunk or a 12-hour time chunk? <laughs> oh, you know, this has changed uh, over the years. So <laughs> maybe 10 years ago, I would have preferred like an eight-hour day. I, I, I wanted to take as many events as I could and, and work as much as I could and save some money. And I also really enjoyed that I got to see a lot of the same people every day. I mean, this was like going to the office. These were my coworkers. And I really enjoy the, um, the community of the BSP population. I often think of it as island of misfit toys. We, we, many of us are artists. We all come from different walks of life. We are many different ages and different backgrounds. And I really love just getting to see everybody. Nowadays, I have a family and I am married. And I actually prefer the shorter days. I prefer the four hour chunks where I can go in and I still get to see everybody. And I still get to have some really great encounters with some really amazing students. But then I get to go home and (laughs) see my wife and see my son. Maybe if I'm lucky, get to watch some TV. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, yeah. (laughs) dinner. I'm with you on that. I think back in the day, I was all about like, oh, you want me for a 12 hour day is going to be a long one, but okay. And I'm like, four hours is great Four, it's, it's really good. And, and if it's virtual right now, even better, Even better, uh, just for my lifestyle and with the child as well. So I, I 100% get that. And I think a lot of people would agree. So you've had a lot of experience doing a lot of cases in different ways. So have there been any funny moments that have happened to you over the years? Oh man, many, <laughs> uh, many. Um, so <laughs> There was one case where it was, we were training students who were going into obstetrics and the scenario was my wife was in labor. I was the the husband and the dad. The delivery team was going to deliver this baby and things start to go wrong. Mm. And there is a complication and all of a sudden my, my pregnant wife's life is in danger and my baby's life is in danger. And so they have to do an immediate emergency intervention. My job, similar to the plane crash event, was to be the most disruptive, most difficult husband on the planet. So I was supposed to be blustering, angry, demanding answers, constantly getting in the way, saying what's going on, and basically making the medical team's life very difficult. Um, the task for the trainees, for the medical students was not to let this husband prevent you from treating this patient and Mm. from treating both of these patients. So that was a a particular challenge. It was interesting that day. I actually found more challenging and more exhausting than the mass casualty event uh, thing because, because it was just me Mm. Uh, and there was not 30 people around and there was not lots of other things happening. It was just me. I was the only chaos agent in that room. <laughs> and my job was to, to do that in standardized patient work, just like in any casting situation where you want to find the best actor for that role. You want to mm-hmm. find somebody who just is perfectly that type. <laughs> they seem to think that I was that type <laughs> and I'm not. 
And so <laughs> I was having such a hard time, like, willing up, finding within me this rage, this anger, and this, like, ability to, like, be so belligerent. And so <laughs> off on the side, like outside the room, the faculty who was running this event, he kept kind of like beckoning me over, whispering, yes, be angrier, be, 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 be more of a jerk, be bigger, be like, really, just go in there and toss them out. And, I, and I'd be like, uh, okay, yeah. Uh, and then I'd go back in and I would try my best, but oh, it was hard. And um, in my effort to be as absolutely big and loud and belligerent as possible i was kind of gesticulating wildly with my arms and in the course of doing that one of the little rubber hoses that is supplying fake blood to the abdomen of my fake pregnant wife who is delivering this baby i knocked that tube out and so fake blood started flying everywhere and suddenly it was chaos because the students didn't realize that that was not part of the scenario and so the students thought oh oh my god something's uh, like she's she's bleeding profusely we, uh, something something horrible has happened we've nicked an artery and there the students are suddenly running around frantically trying to find the source of this bleed and blood is still pouring out of the the hose that i knocked out and i look over at the faculty member and they were laughing so hard <laughs> they thought it was just the best thing ever and so i guess i achieved the objective that they were that they had set out for me yeah although entirely by accident oh that's incredible wait the the person that was playing your wife was the actor or was it just a mannequin it was there was a second sp there oh um, and she her her job was as I became more belligerent, her instruction was to become less and less responsive because things were mm. things were going very wrong. And what I remember was that in that moment when all all chaos broke loose, she kind of opened one eye and then she <laughs> opened the second eye and then she started like getting up and looking and like looking around to see what what was happening. Um, <laughs> and then. I saw I saw the the wheels turn and I don't think any of the medical students saw this but she thought oh I should maybe this is part of it I should still be in character and she instantly closed her eyes and like went, went back to being quote unconscious unquote. That's so funny. Oh, that's epic. Just fake blood. Did the fake blood get on you too? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, boy. Got, got everywhere. Wow, that's amazing. Hey, I'm glad that the uh, the preceptor mentor was enjoying it and accomplished uh, what, what they wanted you to. Yeah, I thought for sure they were going to be furious, but they seemed very amused by it. So, Oh, that's funny. And I can vouch, like, you are a very calm, you know, I would say relatively quiet person. Very nice, very, like, professional. So I would actually wish I could have seen that just to, to see chaos, you being an agent of chaos in there and then everything to go on. But uh, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing. Of course. Oh, and did you get to give feedback after that? Um, we, uh, I didn't have feedback for that event. The faculty member did, but I do remember I did hear their feedback to them. And the faculty member said, now, even though that 
was an accident and that the hose wasn't supposed to be pulled out, I want you all to remember this because this kind of thing can happen in real life. And it feels exactly like that. So mm. when it happens to you, remember, take a deep breath, stay calm, focus on the problem. I was actually glad that I stuck around and I kind of listened in on that feedback because I feel that it's valuable feedback for those students, but also that's valuable feedback for all of us yeah, in life. Absolutely. Just take a moment, just deep breath in and out and focus on the action, right? What, yeah. what do you need to do rather than the vibe and chaos surrounding it? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. That's very cool. Thank you so much, John. You are amazing. We appreciate you being here today and talking about a typical day in the life of an SP, which again, I think we can all agree is there's nothing quite typical about it, but we got a lot of great details and also that epic story. <laughs> <laughs> so John, where can we find you? You can find out some information about me by going to my theater company's website. I am a member of We Happy Few, We Happy Few DC, Classics with a Twist. We are a small classical and classical adjacent theater company that likes to do theater that comes at the classics from kind of a different angle. Mm -hmm. And our website is www.wehappyfewdc.com. Com. Awesome. And we will link to that in the show notes. In terms of socials, how can people find you? You can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at, my handle is at actor Reynolds. That's all one word, A-C-T-O-R-R-E-Y-N-O-L-D-S on Perfect. Instagram and on Twitter. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, John. We really appreciate your time and energy here. You rock. We'd love to have you back. And I think we just might. <laughs> well, I would be delighted to be back. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at the Standardized Patients Podcast. Thanks as always to Randy Sharp for the use of our theme song, Mr. Garita. You can find their music at Artlist. Thank you to Catherine Bublak for the behind the scenes work, audio post-production, and cover art. That's our show. See you next time as we encounter more standards of standardized patient work.